people read the Facebook stories? Yes. How could we not read the Facebook stories? They're really good. And I'm somebody who yeah, like I mean, loves to ignore Facebook stories. This is a clearly Pulitzer contender. Oh, for sure. Well, what's funny about it is like the times are we, I guess this is the episode is now, but here's the reason I, I actually, you know, I think that the journal is, is maybe doing a better job on this is that the New York Times was always struck, stuck in this situation talking about the election and, and Russia with like, how can we prove the impact? I mean, you know, there's obviously something to be said about whether disinformation caused certain people to not vote or whatever. Um, but you know, I remember when it came to privacy and like a lack of interest in, in, in user privacy, there was a piece of the Times did in which they were literally taking reporters outside like in New York and like accosting regular people, showing them how, you know, their data was no longer safe or, or kept private on Facebook. And they're like, doesn't this make you mad? Doesn't this make you mad? And it was the strangest story, but it was also to me very clear that we're like, okay, look, we've got to prove, you know, real world impact for this to be a stronger Pulitzer piece. Uh, and so they went and did that. And it was this completely forgettable story that I think kind of proved that it's very tough, which we were kind of talking about last week with a lot of tech stories to like explain to lay people why this matters. Um, and if you can make the case that that's the reason Trump won, okay, that's, that's something. But what the journal was very effective at with the story. Do you want to give, Tuesday, do you want to set up the stories real quick? Just Basically, what the journal has done is it's amassed an enormous trove of documents and conducted scores of interviews with people who work at the company to show, essentially, that the company knows that it is doing harm in the world, that is really cognizant of this, that it's had full conversations internally with executives in, up to and including the chief executive officer, Mark Zuckerberg, and that despite all of this, changes were not implemented swiftly and their public facing message has been that these harms that they speak of so clearly in their own internal presentations and internal corporate conversations their public facing message has been that these harms are not happening and so far right. the journal has laid out three and signaled that we're going to see more including on things like child sex trafficking but the three that they've currently laid out include um, the idea that instagram the popular photo sharing app where we see a lot of celebrities and a lot of people looking really great, that Instagram is has contributed to uh, the deleterious has has contributed to deleterious mental health uh, effects for young women, and that it's known right. and it's something the company has known, something the company has chosen not to address in order to preserve its business model. It's also shown that the company was well aware of the fact that changes that it made to its algorithm and the way that people share news did not necessarily just increase bonds between users, which was the stated goal. It made them angry. But it made them angry. It made right. them it created division and that it encouraged people to share and to engage out of a place of anger, hate, lack of trust and all these things that we are legitimately worried about in terms of its impact on democracy. And then third was the original story that Jeff published, which I'm actually pulling up right now. It was that the elite are exempt. Yes, that you know, right. elites are exempt from the rules. This X check process. And that not only are elites exempt, but that when Facebook created its own board to adjudicate what to do about high profile users, it was not honest with its own board about the fact that it had a program that whitelisted the behavior of high profile users, oftentimes, but not always, bad behavior. Right. Yeah. So of the three pieces that have been published so far, the one that I thought really 
made the strongest case that there is real impact to all of these problems is is the one about um, young women and Instagram, because. And now, I, you know, you, we, we can argue whether or not yeah, this I'm interested, is all that uh, new. Which one's the worst is an interesting framing. Oh, for sure. The one today um, uh, about about negative, uh, you know, a- anger on Facebook. Granted, it's also the one I've not read the closest. Um, but I Here just feel like again, it's the Tom. story. <laughs> like, yeah. I only saw it on Twitter. <laughs> well, to me, it's the oldest story. I mean, mm, like we're mm-hmm. now mul- many years into this discussion over Facebook and social media being negative on our national discourse and it only highlighting the most, uh, you know, aggrieved sentiments and it being useful to Facebook's business model that, you know, the the most outspoken people are the ones who are the angriest. Um, So I just, I'd be shocked if there's anything that feels strongly new to me because aside from the fact that there was internal teams at Facebook showing that we had data to back it up, um, it's just, we, I don't know, to me, to me, we've, we've been there and I don't obviously have a problem with people writing more stories about it, but I just, I'm, I'm going to be less influenced by it than something like, well, I thought, Insta- I thought the anger yeah. one to me, my ranking would be sort of how they treat the elites differently than the anger one, then the teen girls one. I don't know. To me, the teen girls story and I'm, you know, I have never been a teen girl, no but it, it seems, it seems more about sort of you know, the human condition. I don't know. It's like well, magazines yeah, it's, used to show pictures, you know, like different. And also it's, you know, different teen girls have different reactions to Instagram. So part of the game of that story is basically to say, you know, oh, this subsection, you know, was made much worse. But yeah, you take any poll. Some people felt better because of it. Some people felt worse. And sort of the game of the story is to just focus on the people who felt worse because of Instagram. I don't think that's correct. I think that what the story shows is not just... I don't think it's the game to show that only people who felt worse are important. I think what's important is the hypocrisy where the story shows that Facebook is cognizant of a problem. Instagram knows about a problem. They discuss a problem. But in public, they say, we found that Instagram actually makes people feel better about right, themselves. Right, that right. is that yeah. is the, cover the up. crux of the story is <laughs> right. the cover-up. Yeah. Not some game by reporters to right. well, manipulate ar- the idea on... that teen girls right. have bad self-esteem and it's Instagram. Right. And, I, and what was so effective about it to me was they were able to pair the findings from this internal study with public statements that Zuckerberg had made, that Adam Masseri had made, in which right. they were asked directly about this topic, and they're like, well, we found that it's actually good for you. And, I mean, in <laughs> right. all of totally, these stories, yeah. that's I been a really that. that's important... That's a great rebuttal. I agree with that. Yeah. That's been an important yeah. piece of all three of the stories we've seen so far, and I imagine it will be an important piece of the stories that, you know, the subsequent stories in the series. It's a company that can't help lying. You know, and the yeah. Wall Street Journal is usually... I mean, they are very careful here. I think even in calling... Saying that Facebook lied to its oversight board, they quote an an independent expert who reviewed the journal's findings and have that person say that Facebook lied to the board. Um, And I think, I mean, that that shows sort of the Wall Street Journal's, I think, restraint in uh, reporting these things, which is super interesting. But but I mean, it's pretty clear that (laughs) Facebook just like lies and lies to everybody. And that that allows these stories to keep coming because... So I mean, I think, another, that, yeah, go I, I think that one of the that what has really been happening with vis-a-vis Facebook and the media is that after an extraordinary honeymoon period with the press that was like by I'm, it was almost like the business press forgot that Facebook was a business. It, it, it was ex- extreme. 
you saw even before the 2016 election, different reporters try to show that Facebook had a less than glowing happy side. You saw the Wall Street Journal do it in a story called, I believe it was, you know, What They Know, which took aim at all sorts of tech companies, not just Facebook, but the idea of tracking, the idea of surveillance, the idea of these companies really understanding us better than we understand ourselves and then selling and mining our data. Um, you saw different reporters write about the fact that Mark Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg, probably more Mark than Sheryl at that time, weren't being forthcoming or had made mistakes vis-a-vis -vis privacy and that there was a sense that inside of the company it was done knowingly but that publicly the apology was always oh my gosh we're going to try harder right my, I feel and like my now we're getting to a point where because of things like the election the public is now more on board for more critical stories about facebook the reporters are getting more access to sources, in part because there's more discontent within, within the company. And right. the company is making bigger and bigger and bigger errors. So it's sort of this perfect storm of these stories are starting to hit and have more impact, even if the reporters can't, for example, prove that you know Facebook had this disastrous impact on the election with 100% certitude, or even if the reporter can't prove with 100% certitude that Instagram is making teen girls more likely to have an eating disorder. Certainly, the public, you know, the 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 public is in a place, the reporters are in a place, the culture is in a place where these conversations are just more interesting to us all. Thus, according <laughs> right. But another impact. way of saying what you're saying is that reporters are ruled by the posture of the moment towards a particular entity, right? Early no, on, they were that. way too not I, all. Okay, I'm let not me. I'm not saying that because there were reporters who weren't ruled by the posture of the moment who did write right. There were critical counter, stories I about mean, Facebook, but they were just right. dismissed by. <laughs> what I think is is interesting is two things. One, I think there were a lot of people, myself included, that wondered and maybe thought that in a post-Trump world, the need to attack Facebook constantly, or, or sorry, to investigate Facebook very aggressively, uh, was going to subside because Facebook was sort of seen by many people as the uh, enabler of the Trump presidency uh, for a lot of reasons. And, you know, here we are however many months in a Biden presidency, and there is still huge stories that are coming out from from the big newspapers showing that there are all kinds of problems internally. Uh, so, you know, I think there were a lot of people at Facebook that thought it was going to go away. And clearly it, it isn't. Well, weird contradiction uh, of Facebook, obviously, right? I mean, Katie talked about this earlier, that because the public is now so cynical of Facebook because of the coverage in part, it's much easier to motivate like critical coverage of Facebook. But of course, the public critiques of Facebook are totally different, right? There's the Democrats who hate, hate Facebook for a set of reasons, and there are the Republicans who hate Facebooks for perceived bias, but then it's this sort of amalgam of contradictory uh, objections to Facebook that allow sort of these really critical Facebook stories to have so much resonance. I don't know. I, well, I, interestingly, I just, these stories stay away from politics right. to a certain degree. I know, it's like great. the stories are really impactful in part because they are addressing issues that no matter where you sit on the political spectrum or what part of the country you live in, exactly. or urban or rural, you can't have not noticed how toxic things are on Facebook. Right. You, and this is an original point, but I, I, to me, they read as writing about Facebook as if it's the tobacco industry, right? It's like, absolutely. here's the internal research they did right. on themselves. Here's how they knew what they were selling you was bad. Here's how when the regulators came to them, they misled and obfuscated. And and so, yeah, to me, this is a series that's really trying to frame Facebook as akin to the tobacco industry. Um, 
Now, <laughs> I think clearly, it does a great job yeah, of that. Right. Yeah. And that's been a that's been a comparison that's been going around for a couple of years now. I remember Mark Benioff at some conference a couple of years ago was explicit about that, um, which, you know, I think there's a lot of self-servingness on the part of tech executives to call out Facebook. I mean, certainly Apple is the best example of that. You know, when, when Tim Cook was going around saying that they're stealing your data uh, and, and Apple is the privacy protection company. Right. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that going on there. I have a tough time with the tobacco comparison. Um, I, I don't think it's a it, it, I don't think it stands up to much scrutiny other than it speaks to like the power of business. I think there's a huge difference between an addictive product that has only deleterious health effects to something like, you know, the national discourse that Facebook is affecting or teen self-image that Facebook is affecting, which are so much more challenging. I mean, they're sociological problems. They're not health problems. You can well, but actually our have real science. You know, in a decade, I don't know. Well, it, we could well, look, think but in I a think decade that we expect technology to protect us from Or it, we could think in know? a decade that this was a hysteria, you right. know? I mean, <laughs> I thought there was a great there was a great story that Joe Bernstein wrote for I don't remember where he I think it was it Harper's. For. Yeah, yeah, like a BuzzFeed reporter I think like took a year off and did some, you know, I thought deeper I think reporting it was like a research which, fellowship somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and and he made a really strong case that like look, we just don't really know the effect that anything has on on the way we think. And you could argue that advertising, which is, you know, influential advertising that is the base of how so much of our economy works, maybe that's not even that effective too. Uh, and so to, to basically <laughs> right. say- there, there's there's the really cynical argument that the storyline that Facebook is able to manipulate us is fundamentally good for Facebook's business because it convinces advertisers right. that right. it's this all-powerful platform with which to control the public. And so as much as Facebook wants to resist that when it comes to dealing with lawmakers, it's sort of a reputation that it's not uh, totally opposed to. Right, just yeah. like the idea that so, cigarettes are extremely addictive is not necessarily bad for an industry that's trying to convince investors that it can always get customers. <laughs> right, exactly. Right, it's a great business model. <laughs> it's a good business model. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, but I, I, you know, I wonder what will happen. I, I mean, it, to a certain extent, despite the fact that it's great reporting in in the Wall Street Journal and it's important to expose internal tensions over things like this, that some of these subjects are better discussed in like academic journals and, mm -hmm. and mental health journals because it's there. But they're this very, is going like, to move the public. Yeah. Well, I, and also I think, Tom, the real problem, the real place where the comparison between the tobacco industry and Facebook breaks down is that the tobacco industry was creating a product that we smoked, or at least so I smoked, but we were creating a product yeah. that... They could, cool. they could that they could lame. stop <laughs> not anymore kids but <laughs> creating a product that that we could stop production of you can shut down a tobacco factory you don't need to harvest the crop anymore you cannot make a cigarette facebook is creating a product that we actually create as people and so there's no way right. to shut down production on facebook because it would mean everybody would just have to leave the platform i just spent the summer in new england if you are not in a place where for example small businesses towns um municipal services have created their own websites they all live on facebook you're not going to know what's going on with your kids elementary school if you live in rural maine unless you're on facebook you're not going right. to know what's going on with your fire department if you're in massachusetts unless you're on facebook dark so i mean what what so you can't shut off the cigarette factory when it comes to facebook yeah 
And, and it gets complicated, and the, and the journal story dealt with this too, about like, well, what are the other social media platforms doing? And are they better for our mental health than, than that? And I know from covering Snap that there is this deep belief on, you know, the CEO Evan Spiegel's part and a lot of the people there that like, we did it right. You know, we have moderated the, the news section. We don't allow for mass amplification of false stories. Uh, and then I think the journal story also mentioned like, oh, TikTok doesn't really... Uh, you know, hurt your mental health because it's more about being fun than it is about, you know, it is fun, but it takes, it consumes so much of my time. I mean, it's just, and, and I never remember anything <laughs> When I afterwards. say I've been you on TikTok I mean? for six hours, like... I believe my mental health has been impaired in some way. <laughs> right, right. I, I feel like I just skipped over that period of time. Like I, it's just like I'm erasing time for my life where after it's done, I'm like, what, what did I get out of it? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I enjoyed it, I guess, while I was consuming it. To me, like the craziest kind of cover up on the part of a corporation that I can think of that's happened in the last however many decades was Exxon knowing full well about uh, global warming and the fact that they had done studies uh, showing that, you know, the consumption of fossil fuels is contributing to carbon in the atmosphere and raising temperatures, because that was something that I don't believe was widely known at all at the time. I mean, this was something that was like years and years before Al Gore uh, was, was making his political career off of it. And, you know, like cigarettes, people probably knew for a long time, maybe not that it was addictive, but that, you know, it wasn't good for your health. And then with Facebook, there have been a lot of third party studies that have gone on for a long time saying like, yeah, this is really fucking with young girls' brains. I think a clear thing on, on, and it's on the Exxon point. And older women's brains too, JFYI, I say as a senior citizen. On, on the yeah. Exxon point, I mean, I just think an important thing to remember in these stories is that the companies think about themselves way more than we do, right? I mean, Facebook is obviously doing this research on themselves. Like they professionally, the culture is just much slower to sort of digest all the different problems uh, that these okay. companies have, whereas they're professionally interested. As a rabble like rousing teen in the 90s, people did know about ExxonMobil. <laughs> the culture, it wasn't the culture. What it, what the difference was, was the... No, I'm not saying that people didn't know about no, Exxon. No, I, I was just, I was referring Exxon's to what Tom said about, like, people not really knowing. People oh. did know and understand. The difference was that it, they were finally nailed through a variety of things, including reporting, including congressional right. hearings, where documents came to light showing that their critics had been correct. I think the Exxon, like the, their initial studies happened in like the late 70s. Yeah, they covered so. things up for a long time. This might be a tangent, but you know, on September 11th, there was this whole like copy pasta going around, around uh, that flight where the, you know, the people took it over and stopped it from being used by the hijackers. Was, was 93, 93. The yeah. I know, my yeah. Wow, like, wow. wow. The Jesus, text. We just had our 20th anniversary. The, the like, text. That flight. But the text people were posting. Eric was like four. It was fake. You know, it was like created by some Christian <laughs> site. Snopes fact-checked. And, you know, they say it ends in a prayer. Like, it's based on truthy facts, but they, like, made a whole fake transcript. Nobody online, like, gives a fuck about it. Probably more people have read that story than have ever read my cumulative writing ever. And it's just, like, totally made up. And I don't know what's my objection here. It's just that at the end of the day, Facebook's capacity to distribute things is what... You know, if you just made up one fake post and told it to one person, that would have had a small impact. Maybe it would have been wrong or like deceitful, but it would have been small. But now every major, we have all these like fake 
just well, fake stories like going Facebook, around because of Facebook, how be, Facebook designed our world. And I was going to say in part because of us, because Facebook allows you and me to post pretty much and we don't care we about want, the truth people don't care then un- so until facebook well, clamps down in some way right. on our ability to post whatever we want in real time they can take it down later but a lot of damage can be done before it's taken down until that happens uh it's really hard to see a solution but as an aside I, because you guys we've talked about buzzfeed what's going on with vice that spacks falling apart like what, what's going oh on? is it it's not happening yeah no they, spacks. Uh, so does that mean we have no vice someday what's Tom, what's happening? Uh, no, they raise they raise more money. Um, I can I can give a shout out to my former colleague Jessica Tunkel who wrote the piece on it. Uh, they, they, yeah, the SPAC fell apart and they were able to squeeze more money out of their investors. Eesh. And so uh, it's your call. Isn't that's... it like ransom money at that point? Like you're holding <laughs> your investors hostage. Now that they pivoted well, fully to video now. Right? Oh yeah, the pivot to video has always worked out for everyone. Yeah, it's really it's mostly not a TV video, channel at TV. this point. Yeah. Oh, I'm so happy I'm not writing about this shit anymore. So, um, but it's what, not going to end happy. What? Isn't Vice, Vice is one of those companies where if you polled reporters back then, everybody covering it would have said, this is a disaster that's never going to work. Oh, I had it's people a disaster it. that's never going to work. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, reporter the reporter consensus is wrong some of the time, but it it is <laughs> always like, a, oh, is it? Like, what, what are the main ones? That's an interesting sidebar. I, I'd be interested to hear the ones where you think the reporter can. I mean, Facebook dying in the pivot to mobile. Facebook early days, we report. I mean, that was before us, but reporters were super the entire mythology that the media helped support that technology companies were were good forces for good in the world rather than just no, I'm more talking about pics on like particular oh okay yeah yeah alright where, where reporters were super wrong on like well I think there were a lot of failure. people who actually said that Vice was going to be this huge force in media and that do it, those people believe it or they're just like unsure but, it, but Vice was almost sold to Disney for a billion dollars so somebody believed it for a hot second more more than that yeah I mean it was they yeah it's a complicated story because they like all of these media companies raised a shitload of money during a time where there was a belief that these digital media companies were actually tech companies and and should be valued on these like insanely large multiples and that it wasn't going to be two companies that swallowed up all the digital advertising dollars uh, over the next couple of years and so their growth trajectories all got completely thrown off and I don't know, like BuzzFeed's probably going to go public through its spec, so we can see what that looks like. I, I still think a lot of these companies, man, we're way off here. Like, it's not like it's like the end of Candyland when you go public. Like, you still have to be a company. Right. Like, is it, and is you, it weird for me to feel like, like BuzzFeed is starting to be this, like, receptacle for all sorts of companies that can't exit? So they're just glomming onto BuzzFeed so they can get out through the spec. Like, the spec is going to collapse under the weight of four million acquisitions before the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, well, the SPAC market clearly is already falling apart anyway. I mean, I guess we should have Brian Goldberg on here some weeks where he can tell us why. Well, I, I, are he not sent there, me a quote defending BuzzFeed for one of my newsletters that was like just obviously like, well, whatever's good for BuzzFeed is good for me. So I'm going to say, yeah, yeah. you know, I will say about about Vice. I don't watch their TV show because it's on cable. I mean, that's it, unbelievably stupid. Um uh, or it was. I think now it's on Hulu or something. I've heard it was pretty good, but like their tech reporting is good. Like their, you know, motherboard has some pretty great stories. Yeah. Still? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No. Like the. Yeah. Like Joseph Cox, who does their um, kind of security, cybersecurity stories, is like he will put out like a great story at least a month. 
Um, I'm I'm super envious of a lot of their work. So I hope the business does well because it's like it's still good journalism. It's just uh, I don't know how much stock I put in that business model. Right. Again, we never talked about how I'm so happy to not be a media reporter anymore. <laughs> you, you, every, every time we have these conversations, it makes me gladder and gladder. You saw Adam Mosseri, the head of Instagram, um, who was quoted in the Teen Girls story, was at the Met Gala, right? He was one of the chairs, Eric. Get it together. He was one of the chairs. He was one of the chairs. And I, 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 I posted a picture. I was like, what, what's, the, beautiful, I think. what's the Instagram version of let them eat cake? Like, I can't believe he went. With the timing of that story. I, I mean, I, that story was probably in the works for so long. Right. And he agreed to be the chair probably a year ago. Yeah. Uh, also, his outfit looked like he was like from fucking Alice in Wonderland or something. <laughs> I mean, ever. What I- the Megala outfits about- this year were not very good, but, you know. What is it about being the head of Instagram that causes these executives to think that they're fashion icons. Well, that's sort of interesting. You've actually seen a lot of people from magazines um, and the fashion world, like Vanity Fair and Vogue, go to Amazon and Apple and, you know, uh, Instagram, etc. So there is this weird way in which the fashion world has been trying to court technology, in part because technology, especially Instagram, has really taken a lot of the glossy magazine world's clout away not just in advertising but also in trend setting so if you look at what was happening with this year's new york fashion week you saw a lot of things that didn't really feel like they made sense they were they've been on a drawing board for a year and a half speaking to a cultural moment that is no longer exists because life is moving so quickly. And that's what we saw at New York Fashion Week. Whereas people who are on Instagram posting that entire time, they were setting and resetting micro trends for the entire last year. And that moves, you know, commercial buying, that that moves merchandise. So, you know, there's a way in which Vogue's ability to tell people what they're going to wear has been greatly diminished because of a company like Instagram. Right. And so there I is mean, a, so yeah. there is a, but there it's, is a but reason the why of, Anna Wintour wants Instagram right. there. I definitely think Instagram is setting fashion far more than Vogue. I would say yes, even absolutely. much more. Like what you're saying, 10x, I agree 100%. Yep. I just think the laughable thing is that the person who happens to run the corporate structure that is Instagram matters has no style at all in that world. You know, like all you're doing right. is channeling like a long tail of fashion people. The, the corporate structure. Is I mean, just, you, like, you, were you remember on a totally when I moved basis. to San Francisco, Eric, and we went. I think we went to a bar. Uh, we after met. Him, work. Yeah. First of all, uh, we had uh, to leave because I was the only woman Dolores in the bar. Park, uh, sort of, I think Valencia area mission. Um, it was so. Hilarious to me. I'd never seen anything like it. Like uh, t-shirts nice paired now. with slacks, right. paired with man. Never any socks. Uh, um, I, well, t- back to like the fashion tech connection too. I mean, th- this is what has been going on for a couple of years. And the funniest example of it to me was the. I think it's still probably going to happen, but the Vanity Fair uh, tech media new, power. New, what's it called? New, new establishment, new establishment yeah, yeah, yeah. list, which was mostly old. <laughs> entertainment executives in their 60s right. the last but one year they had Kevin Systrom who was then the still the CEO of Instagram mm-hmm. on stage with I think interviewed by maybe Anna Wintour or someone mm-hmm. like that it was and, a very painful um, interview mm-hmm. and Lena Dunham mm-hmm. uh, and <laughs> a lot I, of pain I, like, seeing Kevin yeah and I was seeing like Kevin up on stage talking about Paris Fashion Week or mm-hmm. some shit like that dressed like he was in sprockets or something mm-hmm. and it was like 
this something about this job <laughs> yeah something about this job like warps the brains of, of, of tech executives to think that they're like fashion forward isn't that they're just, all, just like, wealth <laughs> fucking like yeah I guess that too they're all like Carl Lagerfeld and like, like and like three weeks earlier they were yeah they were probably hanging out on Zuck's like you know Kauai compound like wearing you know sandals and socks and whatever uh, water sandals skiing. and socks yeah. are actually kind of in right now Tom are they? Yeah, no. but but the, this is why I never get invited. <laughs> but they, but going back to what Eric was saying about how the irony of having Adam Osseri at the Met Gala as this devastating story is coming out about his company's you know impact on young women was certainly not lost on a lot of people on social media. Also, what I found fascinating about that story was that Mosseri gave on the record quotes and that he yeah they gave to all the stories they've you, given on the you, record. We so all know. The executives do not do that unless they think they must. And that's another great indication that the Wall Street Journal had the goods. Because there is well, no one story, way he would have gone on the record if he did not I, feel I would he had love to. to know like the just the the who the leak obviously who you want to know who's leaking, but like a company like Facebook, I mean Katie maybe is closer to it than I am. But um I mean they have lots of like ex sort of Democrat, Obama-type people running around in high-level, like, policy comms job. I just have to imagine, like, execs are, you know, execs are flipping on them, both in policy and comms and leadership. Some of the people giving quotes are like, I mean, it's just like, at what point, the company, it would be so hard to have a coherent sort of corporate response in an organization like Facebook, where I imagine... People engage. People are engaging directly uh, with those reporters because they have. And also, it's a company that tells you you go there to have like these principles. So then everybody feels entitled to sort of you know defend themselves to the reporters. I mean, it must be a mess to deal with PR um, on that story. I cannot imagine it's sort of a lockdown situation where you have like this one comms person going to the Wall Street Journal and it's totally controlled. It must be pretty. Pretty chaotic would be my my guess. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on that. I just wonder at this point how much Facebook cares. I mean, they obviously <laughs> care enough because Well, because they... Zuck has complete control over the board and everything the company does, right. so he can never be removed. So how much do right, you like, care when you're and, can and never be removed? New, right, this isn't new for them. I mean, when the New York Times and, and others did their spate of stories a couple years ago and they hauled Zuck in front of Congress uh, multiple times... And now Facebook is worth over a trillion dollars. Uh, and it's very unclear, you know, regulatory-wise, what people are going... I know there are antitrust suits, and those are messy, and I definitely defer to Katie on, like, you know, the trajectory that those will go on. But, like, at some point, like, Facebook, you know, they don't want to be seen as the villain in public. But if they can do that and also compensate people, uh, you know, th their executives and their employees, and the stock keeps going up for the time being... Maybe they're just happy to like take the punches on Twitter. Well, and, I think and have people like yeah. I don't. One way to read these stories to me is that there are a lot of people at Facebook creating reports because they don't like Facebook. They want it to change. They think they should reform. Right? right. Then that doesn't happen. Why doesn't it happen? Because Mark Zuckerberg's in charge. He's the dictator in chief with Sheryl Sandberg, his loyal lieutenant. And so even if you are a super senior at the company, you're not going to succeed in getting them to change. So then that creates a whole apparatus of people. They're creating the reports. Somehow those reports are getting leaked to the Wall Street Journal. There's like, <laughs> you could see a lot of Facebook being aligned with these Wall Street Journal stories because they want 
change at the top, right? So I, to say Facebook thinks is sort of incoherent. I think you would say there's the Mark Zuckerberg view where he's sort of stopping all these lower level decisions. And then there are the sort of executives that are loyal to him. And then there are these sort of more sort of professional executives. And the more those executives are tied in to the actual rank and file, they're gonna be responsive obviously to the findings that those rank and file are producing and are getting ignored. So I, I would love to know, I mean, obviously this is a reportable thing that would be frustrating to the reporters probably, but just, yeah, how much of how much of Facebook itself is on board with? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure the company is also track. trying to figure that as well. <laughs> I mean, if, <laughs> right. if I were working, well, here, the we should uh, we could put a pin in this one and have Casey Newton on sometime, who who obviously would know more directly it, than it's so hard when you over. cover it. It's like easier for me to say this because I don't yeah. cover Facebook, so I can just extrapolate from other um, stories. But I feel like once once you're on the beat the one thing you can't really talk about is the level of like how much are people sort of defecting even when they're sort of principal actors for for the company yeah i think there's zero upside in any of us ever talking about our sources <laughs> but i mean it shapes in, the in, world in, like, including I mean, that stories. we shouldn't but <laughs> you don't you think i'm out of school here as a reporter to say this no I i'm mean, just saying that i've told my sources i won't tell people who they right. are and so i right. keep that promise i don't know <laughs> I don't about have you facebook sources so I'm yeah not, that's our I'm premium episodes on. we can <laughs> we can we can talk more explicitly about who we talk to but i just i mean these stories reflect an organization that is not happy. Right? Uh, well, Even that is the, true. I'm, if the organization was happy, the right. leaks wouldn't really come out. Well, the out. organization certainly was happy, and there were no leaks for a depth. long time. Right. right. This, right. by the way, is like the fundamental thing that people in tech don't understand about reporting. And it happens every fucking time when they're just like, why do reporters keep writing negative stories about these companies? And it's like, because the employees at your companies don't like the way things are going, and they don't like working right. there. And they they're don't mad like at leadership. you, and they're talking to yeah. us. Yes. It's like you were blaming the wrong person. Yes, here. exactly. Like you, can, you can complain on the margins about like angles and stuff, but like, you know, like the beatings will continue so long as morale doesn't improve. <laughs> you might want like, to look inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. But not in the way that you want to, which is just to root and people actually, and fire them. <laughs> yeah, and actually, though, they, they don't want to look inside. Speaking of tech spending, by the way, uh, we're, we're coming here uh, the day after the California recall, uh, <laughs> resoundingly <laughs> defeated by uh, people actually deciding to vote. And I got to say. Uh, for the certain tech executives that spent money on the uh, voting to recall, uh, I wouldn't call that good ROI. Doug Leone, uh, great investment. Uh, yeah, David, David Sachs, Sachs. Well yeah, done. Peter Thiel. Well, did Peter yeah. Thiel spend money? I don't remember. I think so. You know, I'm but not going to weigh in on this, you guys. <laughs> Stop yeah, you it. Can't, you can, you're a business reporter. Of, you, used, I, you can talk about ROI. Like, it's like a failed investment. I, I just, but, but it's not, it's just because I did not. I, I am not as um, I didn't do it. I didn't study the California recall as Tom did or as you did. And so I would just sure. be I don't like to speak about things that I know nothing about. Yeah. yeah. Well, we could come back to this one another time. But I would say the uh, well, everyone the no should vote. read uh, Max Shafkin's book, uh, The Contrarian. I'm, I'm a fifth of the way through. It's good. And mm, good. it really frames so far the whole Peter Thiel world as like a sort of political club more than anything that a big. You know, David Sachs, Keith Boys, like the thing they shared was conservative, libertarian, incoherent in some cases, politics. Um, and, and so it's super interesting in light of the recall effort. But I think everybody, we should finish uh, reading. You guys should get the book. I should finish yeah, reading it before we talk. I, I'm excited about to it. read it. I'm, 
I, I wonder, though, with Peter Thiel, does the media overrate how important he is? He's on the board of, of Facebook. I mean, he's... I mean, he was... The president's a lot of main people business. On the board of Facebook. I mean, it's like, do we? Does, well, here, does the media overrate how important the president of the United States is? Like, I guess maybe, but like, Peter T. That's a leap. That's a leap. Wait, wait, no, wait, I'm just wait, saying, whoa, sorry, whoa, whoa. I'm just saying, if 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 you accept that the, you know, like Peter Thiel was like the biggest, most important donor to President Trump, right? I mean, he so was both, a donor. I don't think he's like Robert Mercer both level in terms of his political influence and in terms of his business influence. I, I mean, he's he's on the board of one of the sure, biggest companies. He's a billionaire. The all these he's, guys have these. All these guys have power in ways that I never fully understand, but. I just, I don't want to go too far in this because I'm looking forward to reading Max's book. Zuckerberg like, is more important than Peter Thiel. Is that the question? Certainly the people. Sure. Or the Koch brothers or the living one. Well, yeah, or, the, or the, the women one. <laughs> yeah. What? I, I, was, I was saying living one. Oh. He didn't say women oh. one. He said living. <laughs> we can go back to the tape on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Replay. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know that ranking extremely wealthy people who are able to call almost anybody at the world, when, whoever they want, whenever they want, is really a useful exercise, but like, I'll do it, I guess. No, well, I, I would agree. It's, it's the, the claim is that if you control a tech platform like Facebook or Twitter, you're more powerful than people who just have money. I don't know if Tom well, yes, making I, that I, case. I, I would he, buy onto that. I mean, yeah, here's I'd my buy. question. Here's my contrarian question. Uh, is oh. like, <laughs> oh, do, does the media overrate his particular, does he loom very large in the mind of a lot of reporters because of his role in the Gawker suit that you know, no. very specifically cast him as. But he succeeded. You know, one, one of the biggest something. villains. So much yeah. of politics is all. Talk he fucking killed and a news site. Like that's right. no one's done that before. Right. And and you know, where he funded a, a suit that, that that effectively did that. And I Changed I just how wonder. Think about freedom. I mean, freedom of the press. Yeah, I mean that's real impact. Yeah, and I just wonder had that not happened, but he still was a guy that gave money to to, to Trump and was you know sitting at the right hand and all that other stuff. If he would matter as much, but Gawker was Tom, you just gave, you just gave us an example of why he matters <laughs> more than other investors. You literally just gave us an example of why he matters more than other investors. He was able he was to getting kill covered the a ton. Site. The reason he killed Gawker was he was getting covered a ton already. So, but even 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 aside from the reason he was right. even aside from the reason he killed it, the fact that by your own admission he did something no other really investor has ever done that had right. sort of an impact on the press and an impact on what we think of like how money can stifle freedom of the press that doesn't that indicate that he is possibly more important than other investors i'm not saying he's like some puppet master obviously. no i'm saying like, to tom I mean, like tom's the one who's right. like he's not right. that I know, important i know but i don't I mean, understand why you people know, think he's so important store chapkin has an excerpt in uh, business week right now and that piece you know, basically says that there were a lot of crazy, kooky, sort of anti-climate change level type people uh, that Teal suggested Trump appoint. And even, you know, uh, the Trump people were Steve Bannon were like, these are too kooky um, for us. And Teal didn't get a lot of those. But I mean, some, you know, the CTO was a Teal guy. I think there were some people there are there are Teal guys over the administration. But but sure. Could he pick the secretary of defense? It didn't seem like it. So yeah, I mean, I don't, but I don't really believe him in puppet masters. But in terms of billionaires that are super powerful, I think he's much more powerful than his actual wealth. There, there are much richer people that are less, less powerful. I, I have. It's to, very realistic. That I got. A, I have to. to I have to make this phone call um, because I need this information. Uh, so I gotta go. 
Um, unlike Eric, I'm I'm not gonna tell you who my sources are. Um, I didn't tell. I, I don't cover <laughs> Facebook. Eric's not going to pressure me into revealing uh, how I get information. <laughs> I'm joking. No, I do have to go because I have to make this call. And um, great. So Excuse I hope that you guys for the good of America. You know, you'll I get hope some. you come up with the definitive ranking of uh, which tech billionaires are the most influential vis-a-vis how much they're covered by the press. Um, and please shoot that over to me because I'm curious to see it. It's a changing. It it'll be a changing. Question. You know, it'll be like yeah. a power ranking list. Yeah. Oh, can, can we start doing a power ranking list on the pod? Yeah. Well, we could run in. Sure. My, my friends desperately want me to do more power rankings just for uh, <laughs> clickability. <laughs> but I, I, I've been opposed to truly sort of capricious judgments uh, just because no. I have a following. But I, I do think it'd be good. People want to consume lists of. Who's in, who's out. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If we we'll have just, a yeah. methodology, you know. We I'm can... actually getting slack now by, by coworkers, too. I guess I have to oh my God. talking to you one of them. see, Eric, we have businesses. jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I have to fucking write an interview story. And Ooh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eric, you have to do know. the same job we have to do. It's just you have no bosses. All right, exactly. So I can procrastinate and then do it at 2 in the morning <laughs> and uh, run a very good sort of mental health uh, experience. Right. You're also off for two weeks, too. So, you know, you better you better burn that oil uh, uh, for the next couple of days while Katie and I have to figure out what to talk about. Yeah. All right. We can, we can call it. No. Bye. Go, Katie. Go, bye. Bye, Katie. So I, I guess once again, we've ended an episode with Katie having to do her real job. And now, Did she disappear last episode? Yes. Yeah, she disappeared La- because there what were What happened last episode? Someone never was coming explained. into her movie theater and, and she had to, like, talk them down. And then when she came back on the Zoom call, we were already gone. But we ended the last episode without her, and I think that's going to have to be like a weekly thing now. Uh, well, she's only the, she's a special guest. So that's true. I guess her duties maybe don't include a senior episode. Yeah, she's a 10 out of 10. Google, goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.